Mick Dittman is squeezing through on naturalism's emanations there with heroicity and here comes Viander Cross, Viander Cross down the outside is motoring home, naturalism the leader, Viander Cross inch by inch is wearing him down, naturalism still in front, he ran out near the line but naturalism wins at a half length of Viander Cross in a bumping finish. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and the High Gang Group. Ticket sales got underway on Friday the 1st of July in the 2022 Kosciuszko sweepstakes. Your opportunity to share in the $1.3 million prize money on offer for the world's richest race for country train gallopers. New South Wales residents can purchase $5 sweepstakes tickets via the TAB app, local pubs and clubs, TAB agencies and at New South Wales race meetings. 14 winning tickets will be drawn on the 8th of September with each winner then selecting a New South Wales country or ACT trained horse to race in their slot once they've agreed with the horse's owner group as to how they will share prize money for the race. Ticket sales will close at 11.59pm on Wednesday the 7th of September 2022. The much-anticipated The Kosciuszko Sweepstakes Draw will take place on Thursday the 8th of September and will be broadcast live on Sky Thoroughbred Central and RacingNewSouthWales.com.au. Lindsay Smith fell in love with Warrnambool when he stabled with Darren Weir during a brief visit from Perth in 2017. He loved the city, he loved the training facilities at the Warrnambool track and he was bowled over by the availability of nearby beaches. For a trainer who was already sold on the benefits of salt water and deep sand, Warrnambool was an equine utopia. When Darren Weir's stabling complex became available in 2019, Lindsay was the first to raise his hand. He was able to negotiate a lease agreement and three years down the track, he is firmly ensconced among Victoria's most successful trainers. He continues to operate a stable at Casuarina on the outskirts of Perth, where a team of 16 to 20 horses is expertly managed by Donna Reardon. If one of the WA team suddenly lifts its game, Lindsay has the luxury of bringing it to Warrnambool. Conversely, if one of his Victorian team can be placed a better advantage in Perth, off it goes to the West. Lindsay Smith's training talents are matched by a laconic manner and a sense of humour which have endeared him to Victorians. It's time we caught up with the multiple Group 1 winning trainer on a Supernova Sound podcast. Lindsay Smith, thank you for joining us. No, thank you, Johnny. I'm honoured to be on your show, mate. So. Uh... Yeah, no, it's a privilege to be uh, able to talk to you. It was great. Pleasure's all mine, Lindsay. You know, hard work and sound judgment have started to pay off for you. You've exceeded 100 winners nationally in each of the last three seasons. Very pleasing. Yeah, it was uh, three years ago when I walked into the barn with the five horses. If, uh, if you would have said I could have sort of half that many winners for the first three years, I would have taken it. But uh, mm. it's uh, through wonderful staff in both states um, have, you know, has, has enabled us to sort of keep our keep our toe in the water and keep batting against some of the, the bigger stables. Trainers who work horses in heavy sand, thoroughbred and standardbred trainers, 
uh, will tell you that you run the risk of losing a bit of speed. Do you agree with that? And how do you regulate it? Oh, well, yeah, well, it's a certain point where uh, you get to um, a level and that's it's all on your eye and your gut feeling. But mm. once a certain horse does, does hit that point, John, I generally in Western Australia, I race them every week uh, for their fast work, their anaerobic side of their fitness. I race them every week mm. and then I'll just jog them through the sand during the week. There may be the odd horse that, I still have to gallop through the heavy sand, mm. uh, maybe on the Wednesday. Uh, sometimes I'll go Wednesday and Thursday. It's mm. depending on the animal, yeah. but um, I'm sort of open, open-minded about things. Um, and some just spend the time down the beach and front up again. But once they have that muscle memory, yeah. uh, each horse is a little bit different, John. Mm. The big plus, of course, to come out of the sand work is the reduction in concussion, that wear and tear on tendons and suspensories and joints that comes with too much galloping on training tracks. Well, yeah, well, you get longevity out of their all their legs. And, John, you know, when I was young, they used to say with horses with tendons, they used to put, you know, stand them up on the heels up front and make them go and trot on the road and all that. Well, the the tendon might heal, but generally the scar tissue goes sideways. And I've found I might in my time mm. that the axle of the tendon is a possibility to straighten up. If you give it three or four or five preps in the heavy sand, the tendon will actually straighten up. So it's, you know, I'm, what am I, 63? So in my mm. early times I was taught maybe – the opposite to what is actually the best thing for the tendon, strangely enough. Mm, so it took you a while to cotton on. Oh, well, it's just that, John, I had heavy sand. I didn't have a float. I didn't have a car. So mm. it was a matter of the sand taught me, to be honest. Yes. You use Narrawong Beach down Port Ferry Way. And you yes. tell me it is a horse heaven. What's the usual procedure when you get down to the beach? Well, we generally don't. We generally get all the work done here, but then we leave, say, around the eight thirty, and we go down there with no, no time restraint or anything. And it takes you about eight minutes to walk through the sand dunes to get to the beach, and then it's just you know the open ocean there, and it's very peaceful. Uh, the beach goes for miles. Every now and then you might see the odd dog dog walker, but very often. It, you don't see anybody and it's quite relaxing. You can go for a few k's one way and after you've finished your galloping, you, you know, you can walk in the water for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. So mm. as as far as uh, water walkers going, uh, I'd, I'd say we have the best uh, water walker in the world. Mm, I'll say. 20 years ago, trainers who were working horses in heavy sand were pretty much in the minority. It's not a secret anymore, is it? No, it's uh, it's a case of selling guns to the enemies now. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, when I started, basically with Justin Warwick, it was uh, him and I, simply because, as I said, we had no money. Um, and then uh, Gary Hall, uh, senior, the trotting man in Perth, mm. he he done it as well, and he's been a leading trainer for as long as I can remember. And then a couple of my foremans, what were with me, they took on the system and uh, now they're 
leading trainers in their own right uh, in Western Australia, and it's carried over to Victoria now. Mm. And, uh, yeah, as I say, just a bit of selling guns to the enemy. You've had a number of winners in the West in recent weeks, including a rising five-year-old called God Has Chosen. He's won eight from 14, and he was very impressive in winning the Belmont Sprint a couple of months ago. Is he a winter bottom horse? I think that may be a tad too quick short for him, mm-hmm. and I think maybe the the 16 of the railway and the 18 of the Nordley would be his best. I You may know I pushed him to 2000 to see mm. his last start, looked the winner, hit the front, and two old uh, season stayers pegged him back. So I'd say we learn our lesson there, mm. so not to go there. So I'd say hit the railway, uh, well, they have that Lestia Stakes first, 1400, then the 16, then the 18. Right. Um, as you may be aware that the stake money in Western Australia has gone up. Mm. So instead of him coming over here, he'll spend this uh, summer in Perth and then depending on what he does, he'll come to Melbourne after that. Mm. He's got some potential and plenty of ability though. God has chosen. I mentioned uh, that you bring one over from Perth if you think it can be competitive in Victoria. And Triple Missile is a great example of that. He won five in the West, then over to Melbourne, where he's won a heat of the Winter Championship at Flemington and the Golden Topaz recently at Swan Hill. Hey, can't this horse find the line? Yeah, he's got a dynamic finish. Mm. He's a horse that we've we got uh, like secondhand in Perth and he handled the heavy sand very good. Um, we've tried to nurse him through the lower grades uh, so that once he got to something like maybe the Rupert Clark or I think he's an Oakley Plate horse myself where they mm. go really hard and he can just sit back cold and come at him on one last run. But he's a horse, I think, what enjoyed the heavy sand, but then when he came to Warnable, he got back on top of the ground and, as you said early in the in the conversation, mm. the sprint come back into him. So he has both. And once you can combine the both, then that is what more can you do for an athlete? You can't have no. aerobic and anaerobic. If you combine the both, that's the perfect, the perfect model. Mm. Do you see any group one potential in the horse? Sounds like you do. I do, maybe at the, the, the softer end of them, but I reckon on a bend, uh, hard pace in front, it wouldn't surprise me if he did do uh, a group one like the Oakley Plate or maybe Rupert Clark, that style of that mm. style of race. But on the bend, you'll be keeping him away from Flemington. I think he'd be more productive just curled up behind him. I think he'd sort of be too much in the open at Flemington. I, I, I haven't sort of worked that what straight out that well yet. So, uh, yeah, I think I'll keep him around Caulfield and um, you've seen what he'd done at Swan Hill. I know it wasn't a, a, a superstar race, but, geez, it was a good win. Wasn't it a big win, yep. The one they're all talking about is Tuvalu. Winner of seven from 11. He was brilliant in winning the Winter Championship at Flemington, which is a stakes race. He looks very genuine, Lindsay, and he's a real on-pacer, isn't he? He's a perfect horse, John. He's uh, got good cruising speed. He's got a terrific – what ability he's got, it matches with the will to win. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he has a little bit of a hiccup with his blood, but we're sort of w- working on that, and I think we're on, getting on top of it. But um, excellent horse, and he's still a little bit immature. Mm. So just the way, as you said, the way he races and the way he can still, ex- you know, basically he's always running a, a, a good section or where it makes it hard for a horse like a trip and whistle, for, for, mm. for example, to mm. bowl over the top and start to – uh, have to throw in a, a 32 or something, 600 to beat him, which is uh, very rare. Mm. Jared Fry's been riding this horse, uh, a jockey you've been using a lot lately. I think he's tipped the 100 wins this season for the first time in his career. Rides well, doesn't he? Seems to have a good he, temperament. Yeah, he's, he has. That's a, that's his best asset. He's got a great temperament. He never changes. His mood's good. He rides light, so he hasn't got that pressure of – wasting and um, having to lose weight to ride. Uh, he's reliable. You know, I'm three or three and a half hours from Melbourne, but he comes down from Ballarat once or twice a week. Mm. Um, yeah, he, he. so being able to ride the horses and when you talk to him about them, he knows how to ride every horse a little bit different. Mm. And, um, yeah, he rode Tuvalu's first start and, he done a good job on him, and I have no reason to take him off. But uh, originally, it was Ethan Brown who I thought would suit him, but mm. Ethan had a little bit of time off, and Jared stepped in, and it's been, um, you know, he's been a worthy replacement, and he, he deserves the reward for the work he puts in. Mm. I know you love to get back to Perth for the summer carnival. Is Tuvalu likely to go to the west? Quite likely, yes. I mm. I won that with Scales of Justice, and this horse is quite similar. Mm. Doug, Dougie White won the railway on Scales of Justice by rolling along in front, and uh, this horse, as you, you said earlier, is, uh, it's quite similar to his racing pattern. So I'd say that's where um, he'll finish up. And what about this horse in the boat? Another rising five-year-old who won his maiden at Bunbury but has won six of his last seven in Victoria. He's pretty exciting, isn't he? Yeah, quite similar to the shorter version of Tuvalu. He's on speed, runs quite hard, loves a dry track. Um, he too, I think, will push a group one on the, down the bottom of the weights one day. He's going to be aimed at maybe the Manicato, mm. and he's the one I, I would take back home on a hot day at Ascot with a – Leader bias, drawn a low gate in the winter bottom. Mm. You never know. Corner Pocket's been a lovely horse. Eight straight before he ran third in the Blamey to Inspirational Girl. What happened at Bendigo after that, Linz? He uh, he showed a poor post-race recovery. Yeah, well, he he's such a laid-back cat, Johnny, that nothing ever worries him. He's like a pony and... Uh, his third was okay. We thought it was all right, and uh, we took him to that Bendigo Mile, and yeah, just wasn't himself. And uh, a couple of days later, he got that puffy leg syndrome. You know that change of the seasons. He got some sort of little bit of virus, and it uh, just took his toll on him. And mm-hmm. I trialed him again when I thought uh, I got him over, but he won his trial, but it wasn't the same horse. So I tipped him out and uh, brought him back, and uh, he's. Only about a week off doing a bit of even time. So he's come back in good order. But he, he was a very hard horse to pick because he's so docile and quiet. Anyway, I couldn't pick 
there was anything wrong with him till he got the uh, the back leg swelled up. Mm. Lindsay, in relocating to Warrnambool, in a sense you've come home because you're actually a Victorian by birth, but the family Correct. went to WA when you were very young. You were one of seven kids. Yes, well, uh, yeah, well, uh, we lobbed in Williamstown, stayed in a hostel, and then um, West Australians needed some workers, so my dad was a house painter, so mm. uh, they shipped us back over to Western Australia to another hostel, and um, that's where, uh, yeah, that's where I started school. Your brother Tom worked for Colin France at Rockingham and was yep. probably instrumental in your becoming apprentice to that trainer. Hey, Linz, it's not widely known that you rode in races. Did you ride a winner? Yeah, that's a bit harsh, John. I feel <laughs> a bit bad, you know. Uh, very ordinary jockey. Um, them days, um, they, you know, you know, they, they actually sent a lot of us into the races without not enough experience. But uh, I didn't have the... Uh, the 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 ability to do it. Uh, I didn't like to waste. I only had about a hundred rides, if that. So, mm. but he was a beautiful man to me, Colin France. He uh, sent me to school. Uh, he looked after me, bought me clothes. He he was a wonderful man to me, mm. him and his wife. So, uh, I still every now and then when I have a horse of my own, I, I use his colours just so that mm. it rem reminds me of uh, ah, lovely of the man. <laughs> lovely touch. Well, you, you ducked the question. Did you ride a winner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, it, the, the chap protested, a friend of mine protested against me, but um, I don't think he knew that Stuart owned the horse. <laughs> it was never going to be upheld, was it? <laughs> oh, dear. I was scallywags back then. Yeah, well, that's them back in the day. Well, brother Tom went to work for Tommy Hughes in Melbourne. Uh, Tommy Hughes Senior, obviously, and again you followed him over and you work for Tommy Hughes and you stayed there for a long time. Yeah, no, uh, he was good to me too, uh, Tom. He, um, he, uh, oh, he taught me a lot about um, different styles of training and uh, he was, as you know, he was more of a, a gambling stable than than a... That, that was his main – he loved the punt, Tommy, mm. and, you know, he, he, he sort of taught me to punt. And uh, back in a couple of losers, I soon learned that I, I didn't get enough out of the victories <laughs> as the, the disgust I used to get when back in the loser. So it's not mm. really my forte punting. No, and you stay away from it. Yeah, every now and then I, ever, I, I thought I have one – What's past the post, I, I may have a, a little flutter, but very rarely. Well, the experience with Tommy Hughes enabled you to land a foreman's job on the Gold Coast with a man who is constantly praised by all who knew him. Why was Henry Davis lauded by so many people? Uh, well, he's very, uh, very clever man. Uh, obviously, he too... Work for Mark, he worked for Mark Reed, and he, they also like to have a bet and set them up. But mm. he worked horses harder, and at the time I wasn't really knowing that he was planting the seed in my head because he used to work horses harder than anyone else. Mm. 
just simply to have that five or ten percent advantage on everyone else. And once he got a horse, what could actually handle the had the constitution to handle the work. Mm. Um, he got some mediocre bred horses to win some good races, and um, he was hardly ever wrong. Once he declared one, um, you knew it was hard fit, um, and it had the ability. It was just about impossible for the bloke next door who hadn't worked his horse as hard as Henry to mm. get over the top of him, and he was good at uh, being able to back him up as well. Mm. Henry was renowned for his execution of betting plungers, as you said. He was the mastermind behind the famous getting closer coup at Canterbury in the early 1980s. Did you have anything to do with that horse? I was foreman at the time and um, uh, we galloped up. His nickname was Brownie, as you mostly know. He uh, worked a couple of times down the straight with some Manny Rex Solon songs. They're all good class, well to open class horses. And he used to smoke them and... Uh, one day Henry said, oh, I'm going to put that horse in the paddock, which I found very strange. So the float company come and picked him up, took him off to the, which I thought was the the farm. But obviously him and a horse called Budokan went to Sydney. Mm. So basically, yeah, I was there, but he half probably left me out, the boss. Mm. Yeah, he told you the horse was going for a spell. Yeah, going for a spell. And then uh, he rocks up that day at uh, in Sydney at the famous day. and. Uh, but in saying that, uh, Mark did um, have a bet for me, and he paid me the odds of uh, twenty to one, mm. and he he had three thousand on it for me, and uh, gave me gave me that money. So yeah. it was quite a good sling, and um, so I have no um, you know grievances about getting left out or anything like that. It's uh, yeah. I'll just be glad glad to be part of it because I took that horse to. Uh, Western Australia a year or so later. Later, yeah. Hey, Lindsay, you don't think you you were the only one Henry left out, do you? No, no, no. It was uh, well orchestrated and uh, <laughs> a couple of times some people thought it was me who uh, got the hundreds, but uh, that was false. Uh, mm. I, I am a loyal cat, but uh, I didn't – I got the blame a couple of times, but that was never me. But uh, I was happy mm. with the uh, the 60,000. That uh, in them days, I should, I should have just gone to many, many ponds and bought a house, but not me. I bought a big flash car. Yeah. <laughs> you headed home to WA after your time with Henry Davis and you became a regular at the gym. Was this a weight reduction exercise at that time? Uh, yeah, no, chasing uh, a pretty blonde girl, uh, about uh, 15 years younger than I was, <laughs> or I am. And, um, yeah, so I chased her, lost about 18 to 20 kilos. Um, I had muscles I thought I didn't even knew existed. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so the plan worked. And while I was there, a man to- told me a very important thing that, you know, I was bench pressing her next to this lady would have been about 55 kilos and she's bench pressing 80 kilos and I'm, I've only got the bar, see? <laughs> and after the second rep, one arm won't work. And she's she's pumping away, make me look bad. He said he said to me, Now imagine someone hitting around the backside with a whip. I never forgot and still in, it's still installed in me. Yeah. That saying. How how 
how true that is. You know, imagine a horse not being fit enough and get to fatigue and then, you know, asking them to go further. With I couldn't do anything, mate. I, I, no. Honestly, the if the bloke didn't spot me, I would have, I would have choked with the bar on me after doing three reps with no weight on. <laughs> oh, you're a character. This was about the time you started to think about aerobics and anaerobics. And yeah, you correct. wondered if the principles might apply to horse training. You also became friendly with Justin Warwick, a famous name in harness racing at the time. Was there any sort of training partnership between you two? Uh, no. Uh, uh, I'd done all the work and he got all the glory. I was <laughs> kind of, no, no. He was good to work with. He came to the gym with me at the same time. And so it was good that we could learn together and work out, you know, the best way to get these horses. And as you know, Johnny finished up being a master driver mm. and uh, that helped us going, you know, into the trots. Mm. Oh, he was a champion driver. Well, he switched to training thoroughbreds with great success and he won many races with horses like Black Tycoon and Rosie Rocket, Material Man was another. But we got the news recently that he handed in his brief. He's not training anything at the moment. No, greyhounds, I think. He's in the greyhounds and he's become a bit of a cattle farmer. He just, he goes 100 mile an hour and I just think he needed a little bit of a break every now and then. He's done it before, so he just needs a refresh mm. and um, just regroup. And then he uh, he comes back. He's a very... Uh, resourceful person and uh, he thinks outside the square and it was him and I were the pit like yin and yang so uh, it worked but um, yeah there was a time come where we had to go our separate ways. Justin's been in the headlines recently as the part owner of She's a Belter who won the Group 2 Sires Produce and the Group 1 JJ Atkins during the Brisbane Winter Carnival uh, he's a part owner there, and uh, he's been enjoying uh, She's a Belter's success in the East. Yes. Well, he, I have no doubt she would have been, uh, he would have broke her in, and somewhere along the line she would have hit the heavy sand and been gone through that system. So, um, no, he's done that a couple of times with some cheap horses. So, as I said, excellent horseman. His father was an excellent horseman, so he's bred to be good at what he does and uh, all the best to him. He had a another mare, uh, I think we had it, and then the Snowdens might have got it and might have won a group one up there about four, four, four or five years ago, mm. and uh, he sold that for a lot of money also. So he, he can be a bit tinny. No, actually, he's, he's just a good judge, sorry. Well, you started your solo training career in Western Australia you were going along quietly and one day you went to a dispersal sale and you picked up a cast-off from the Bob Peters team. Now, Bob had already emerged as Western Australia's most successful owner-breeder, but this horse, Old Cobber, had somehow slipped through the cracks. He won a few early races for Bob, but then his form tapered off and he finished up in that dispersal sale. What did you pay for him? Uh, uh, twenty twenty thousand didn't have GST them days, so twenty thousand, hmm. and um, obviously it was great twenty thousand. 
Well, you did very, very well with him. And then Bob Peters, on the strength of old Cobber, sent you four horses. But I don't think they fired, did they? No, they were no good. Uh, but old, old Cobber, when he came to me, he had, uh, he had bad feet and, um, you know, all the shoeing in the world couldn't fix him. And I just threw him in the paddock and just gave him some hay and six basically detoxed him. And six weeks later, I sent him sprinting over the paddock. Mm. And um, he, uh, I went and got him, and yeah, he he won. Uh, I think he won, might have won eight straight. Also, his first eight. So mm. Mm. obviously, Bob thought that he seen something in me, and obviously, old Cobber being by old Spice, mm. they were super tough horses. If he would have been by um, Octagonal. You and I wouldn't be talking because I found them to be soft animals, but old spices were super tough. And yeah, he gave me four horses, and none of them were, as funny enough, were by old spice. They were by different horses, and um, mm. yeah, none of them, in my opinion, were any good. And so he came and picked them up, and a week later, he said, "Have you got room for twelve? And twelve, he dropped twelve off. Good yeah. me, and there were some handy ones among that batch. And a yeah, couple of A graders. One of them was a filly called Old Money. She yes. won five from 11. She won an Oaks, a Cox Stakes, and the Derby, the WA Derby. She was your first Group 1 winner, Lince. Yeah, she was uh, She was about a, oh, I think about $1.80 chance for the Perth Cup. And uh, the day before, uh, Bob had sold it to America for Oh, you won't mind me telling you, uh, close to a million dollars and mm. it, it, back in the 2000. So, yes, he got scratched, but yeah, super tough horse by old money. And, um, yeah, she was my first Group 1 winner. The pick of the crop, of course, was a four-time Group 1 winner called Old Comrade, with whom you won the fruit and veg twice. You won a railway stakes and the 2002 Australian Cup beating Northerly. Now, you did something unusual in your lead-up to the Australian Cup. You thought he needed a run between the Ore Stakes and the St George Stakes, so you put him in the Oakley Plate of 1,100 metres. He stormed home to run fifth behind Sir Durka, then was second to Northerly in the St George, and then you turned the tables in the Australian Cup. You say Justin Warwick thinks outside the square. I think Lindsay Smith does too. Yeah, well, he was uh, – he come over off a good campaign and Paul Harvey come to ride him in the oar. He was disappointing. And I realised that I started to treat him like he was a bit different to the others, the horse. And mm. uh, my go-to thing is to go harder. When, I, when I've got no answers, I, I generally – so all I could come up with was the Oakley Plate. Strangely enough, I still remember I, I asked 21 jockeys till Peter Merton said that he'd ride him. So, mm. um, yeah, so then, yeah, it was a sensational run. I think he ran 32 and a half or something silly, something crazy mm. run. Mm. So um, it gave me a bit of confidence to go to the St. George where uh, – yeah, just Pete took off a little bit too well because he only had one little sprint on him, that horse, and mm. he had an orderly locked on the fence, so Pete took off and I got past him. But being that horse, he is that champion horse. He is the other horse fought back and beat me. But, mm. yeah, then Paul come over and wrote, rang up and said he'd like to ride him and he knew him very well. And, 
Now, well, I suppose the rest is history now. You and Bob Peters parted company amicably after the old Comrade Association. Did he say that? Because I was heartbroken. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. That's racing. Yes, it is. Interesting that three of Bob's current trainers, Grant Williams and his wife, Alana, and Adam Durant, all work for you at one stage. Yeah, they... they yeah, well, still close friends, uh, Alana and Grant. Well, you know, I was one of the groomsmen at his wedding. So, and Adam, Adam was a, a, a young man who had uh, he asked a lot of questions, and he he got it. You know, some people don't get it. Mm. Uh, he got it from the start. Uh, he was always going to be uh, a danger to me, that boy, because he uh, he was very intense and he understood it. He could ride the horse's work. And he's seen, he's, he's seen and he believed. Once you believe, it's, mm. it's, it's easy. So we've got to talk about Plastered, a horse who took you to the big stage in 2004. You took him to Melbourne as a spring three-year-old to win the Amy Vars at Mooney Valley and then the Group 1 Victoria Derby, ridden in both by his regular jockey, Paul Harvey, who was at the top of his game, wasn't he, in that era? Yeah, no, he was uh, the pontiff. He was uh, he was the best we could uh, produce in Western Australia. Next preparation, the horse won three at Belmont, including the WATC Derby and the St Ledger. Then he went for a spell. Next prep, you took him to Melbourne. He was unplaced in three races, the Underwood, the Turnbull and the Caulfield Cup, although he wasn't far from the winner in the Caulfield Cup. And then came the bombshell. Clients of the Lee Friedman stable made a substantial offer for a half share in the horse. But he didn't pass the vet, did he? No, no, he, uh, he'd left the stables uh, and he worked his way down to uh, uh, Rye down there where they had Mark Dole, I think that's the name of the property. Uh, mm. He went left down and... Uh, they done their due diligence and got a vet certificate. And I, I, I've got to be honest, mate, I, I thought he would pass. And a couple of days later, they rang up and said, uh, he's coming back and he failed the vet. And when they told me the reason, I, I was quite uh, quite dumbfounded because I, I, I wrote him in most of his work and mm. I never heard a, heard him make a noise in his wind. And, um, mm. yeah, it was... Uh, a bit of a bit of a blow uh, for the owners, yeah. Because to me, he'd already left, so I'd already had the heartbreak. So mm. it was already, uh, yeah, just one of them situations where it happens, and um, you know, we always try and find why it happened. I always, uh, you know, make sure that I do certain things that, uh, you know, he he had a bit of a. His blood wasn't perfect, so we gave him some uh, antibiotics for his um, his blood, and mm. I always then he got that pro- you know the 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 wind problem, and I always sort of, I don't blame myself, but I always wonder if that was the reason why he uh, he 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 got um, yeah, that problem. But you've still got him. He's still on the team. He has a home for life, doesn't he, on your property? Oh, no, property. no. I, he, he's, uh, 
he's a wonderful horse, and yeah, he lives the life of leisure down there. He's a, a horse that, you know, he still teaches me a lot just when I see him, just with, with his confirmation and, you know, how I try and go about buying horses that look like him because he's like the perfect horse body-wise. Yeah, ticked every box, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Mm. Well, after you got settled at Warrnambool, Darren Weir suggested you should give old Blackheart Bart a try. He'd been in the paddock for a long time, but Darren felt a sand preparation just might rejuvenate him, and it did. You won the Group 1 Underwood Stakes with him at odds of $101. Yeah, well, he, uh, the owner rang up and said uh, he'd just been speaking to Weary, where he said that uh, he should ring me and give it one more go because he'd been riding him up in his farm because he built a sand track, talk about selling guns to the enemy. Mm. He built one too, so uh, designed off home. So I knew once the owner said that I, and, and what stage he was at, I, I was a bit hesitant, to be honest, because there was a lot of flack around uh, mm. Darren and mine relationship. And and I said, oh, and he, the owner just said, he, where he said, you've got to take it and give it a go. So... Mm. Um, yeah, he uh, done a wonderful job, that horse. And honestly, I'd seen him a couple of years before when I stayed, he was called to justice. And, you know, he always looked like he was about 90% the way he walked. Well, mm. when I got him, he was uh, – his feet were perfect. Mm. Quite similar to – I used to speak to him about old Cobber, mm. and he actually he took that on board. And, yeah, that's the reason – that system is the reason why that horse – was able to come back and win a group one and nearly win another one. Yes, he did. He ran second in a million-dollar Ladbroke stakes to Cape of Good Hope. But then he wasn't placed again in five more runs, but his job was done and you were well satisfied. You've gotten attached to several horses over the years, but none more than scales of justice. Twelve wins, twelve placings, two group ones. In his railway stakes win... He was ridden by the great Douglas White. How did that riding engagement come about? Uh, yeah, I tried a couple of the jockeys, uh, and Wes Cameron, who is on the radio in Western Australia, mm. uh, he's mates with Douglas, and I was he heard me on the radio, said, I can't find a jockey to ride that weight. And he texted me, goes, what about Douglas White? And I went, <laughs> <laughs> I said, I thought he was joking. I said, oh, yeah, of course. The next five minutes later, he said, yeah, he's riding it. And, mm. um, you know, I only heard about Douglas. I'd I'd never met him. But uh, as it turned out, he was the perfect jockey to ride that horse on that day. Mm. Well, that charismatic little lightweight Dean Yendel was the jockey when Scales of Justice won his second group, won the Memsey. Yeah, well, he – when I first come uh, to Warnable, um, obviously Dean used to do a lot of riding for Darren and he obviously has a bit of spare time on his hands. So he said uh, that he'd come and ride work uh, and he did and uh, he was a great help to me. Understood all them country tracks where a lot of our horses, uh, that was their limit mm. and um, he used to ride this horse good. So – uh, Wells, he said that uh, to leave him on it because he was doing all the hard work and mm. 
yeah, he, he done a – it was a good timing, that one, when he won that Memsies. It was just all good timing and he started to get a bit of, uh, you know, people that had credibility then, I mm. think. That's when it all started to change. Mm. Dean Yandel has been out for many months, Linz, with a vertebrae fracture, uh, but he must be getting pretty close to a return, I'd imagine. Yeah, he's uh, been a long time. It's I speak to him every now and then, and yeah, he's uh, he's enjoying playing golf anyway. So, but he wouldn't be too far away. I reckon after winter time, he'll work his way back. Good on him. Yeah, super lightweight jockey. Yes. You were devastated when Scales of Justice collapsed and died while working on the beach one day a couple of years ago. Hell of a shock for you and all, you know, all of the people that were around him. Yeah, it was, uh, well, I still, uh, yeah, it's, it's like one of the family. I still get a bit funny about him when I think about him, but um, uh, to the credit of the Racing Victoria, they, they have to do this. The, the autopsy on him, but they cremated him and they mm. returned him home. So he's still here. Um, he, he he sits next to me in the office every day, so he's mm. still here. You had some dealings with young William Pike, didn't you, in the early part of his career? Yeah, he's a, he was a quiet boy. Uh, he used to come sometimes to our place for dinner quite a lot, and I used to – Challenge him on them, uh, them games where oh, Group One jockey or something has come on the TV, them mm. PlayStation games. But he's towed me up. I, I got that. I would have gone for uh, foul riding a couple of times. I was, got <laughs> sick of getting beaten. I just ran him through the fence. But he was good at that. And strangely enough, I think that half that half helped him uh, when it come to riding because he was always diving for gaps and. Uh, waiting, his patience of waiting for fence, the fence to appear, and he had that that nature that if it didn't appear and it, he'd wait till next week, he has that coolness about him, and he was always going to succeed wherever he went because, you know, once you can ride, you can ride, and he was good at it, and um, he had he used to people used to say in Perth that he had the cattle, but as he as he proving now in New South Wales. Uh, you know, he'd have to be in the top five jockeys in Australia, I'd say. Well, he's getting up close to 50 winners since he came to the East and he arrived here in February. 50 winners since February is a pretty good tally. He got his, he met his wife. She was my apprentice, so I've legged a few of them up, haven't I? You certainly have, Cupid. Oh, <laughs> Cupid. Yeah, that's it. Well, I don't know how you've been able to find the time, but you're the father of five whose ages range from 30 down to 13. The eldest are Jesse and Ben from your first marriage, while you and Rebecca have uh, Mia, Darby and Harrison. Is it true that Darby is named after the legendary jockey? That's him. Darby McCarthy, that's him. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Was Rebecca, um, where did you meet her? Gold Coast. Uh, I met up with Jason Oliver, uh, Damien's late brother. We were good, great mates, and mm. um, oh, it won't matter now. But uh, Damien, uh, Jason was—he uh, loved girls, he loved women, um, and um, he wasn't happy with one. He needed about six, but he—he uh, <laughs> he, he was working out why one day 
we're out lunch and uh, he said, you've got to come with me because this girl's got a girlfriend and I don't want to be there on my own and having to talk to the two of them. Mm. And I went, oh, I'll tag along, thinking there's going to be a lot of punishment. And there she was. She was beautiful. So uh, from that day, I, it took me about – Year and after lose all that weight and that, and then I front it up again and yeah, yeah, still yeah. together twenty something years later. She noticed you for the first time when you shed the weight. Yeah, well, she's seen me go backwards now, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you tell me she's not hands on with the horses in a practical sense, but she loves a day at the races. Yeah, that's she. she she's just not a horse family, and she's just a little bit scared of them and she's seen me get hurt a couple of times and um and I always you know telling the kids you know you're over cautious with your, your all your workers and your children and yeah she just never got the but yeah she likes the uh the social side and seeing people like the other day mm. uh I went to the country and Shane the form Shane Jackson the former went to Flemington and Rebecca went to Flemington and mm. Uh, t- when Tuvalu won the final, like she, yeah, not that she likes. Everyone likes winning, but just to see the happiness of people and mm. why, why people like you, get, me and you, get up every day and do it for most of our lives. Well, you're in horse heaven there at Warnable. Uh, the WA base is swinging along nicely. So you're a pretty contented 63 year old, aren't you? Right at the moment. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of the staff are young, and I, uh, I say 63, but I, I just feel like I'm the same as I was 30 years ago. Mm. Um, and uh, the, you know, you're always thinking, and you got to reinvent yourself, and to stay somewhere near the 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 the, the bigger trainers, the the leading trainers, and always trying to learn. And, you know, sometimes they push you to the point of madness where you you can't work out. You just wish they could talk sometimes, the horses, but mm. it's uh, been challenging and, you know, it's a situation where people ask me, mm. when will I retire? Well, I I think I'm just going to – I sat around the campfire at Swan Hill mm. uh, with Quinny Scott and John Hickmont mm. and they were telling stories and I looked over and I, for just a couple of seconds I went, that's me, That's that's what I'll finish up doing. I yeah. think I'll be doing it till they just put me in the box and say that you've had enough. <laughs> you just reminded me of a, a conversation I had with an old trotting trainer one night. I had a horse in at the Bankstown track here in Sydney and for the sake of conversation, I just happened to mention to a veteran trainer who was in the adjoining uh, stall. I said, hey, Bob, what a pity these things can't talk. And he said... They do, mate. Yes. We, we yeah. don't listen. Yeah, well said. Well, yeah, correct there. It's uh, mm. They teach you along the way, don't they? It's, uh, it's just generally you're a run or two late, that's all. Yeah, exactly. Linz, uh, I've had you on the list for a long, long time. Lovely to catch up at last. Thanks for your time on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Now, listen, it's been my honour because you've been an idol of mine since uh, I could ever get in the horses, so I must have achieved something for you to talk to me. <laughs> You've achieved plenty, my boy, and thanks All for right. being our guest on a, on this podcast. Lindsay Thank Smith, you. thanks for your time. Thank you, John. 
Ticket sales got underway on Friday the 1st of July in the 2022 Kosciuszko sweepstakes. Your opportunity to share in the $1.3 million prize money on offer for the world's richest race for country train gallopers. New South Wales residents can purchase $5 sweepstakes tickets via the Tab app, local pubs and clubs, TAB agencies and at New South Wales race meetings. 14 winning tickets will be drawn on the 8th of September with each winner then selecting a New South Wales country or ACT trained horse to race in their slot once they've agreed with the horse's owner group as to how they will share prize money for the race. Ticket sales will close at 11.59pm on Wednesday the 7th of September 2022. The much-anticipated The Kosciuszko Sweepstakes Draw will take place on Thursday the 8th of September and will be broadcast live on Sky Thoroughbred Central and RacingNewSouthWales.com.au.